0: be with you here in this new year. Hey, if you're a newcomer here today, we extend a special welcome to you. We'd love to meet with you after the service, or if you want to use that connection card that Todd mentioned, that Jordan mentioned, to introduce yourself to us. Whenever you're ready to introduce yourself to us, we'd, we'd really love to meet you and know how we can partner with you in your spiritual growth. Uh, I was gone for a couple weekends, nice to take a break as a family and returned to the office the, this Monday and heard from a number of people as I got back in. Man, everything goes so well when you're gone. Psst. <laughs> no, I think that was a compliment. It is a compliment because we have a great staff. We have an amazing staff at this church, and they did an awesome job over the past couple weekends and throughout the week. And I thank Aaron and Brian for giving messages as well as all of the many other things that happened in the church throughout the week. They did a great job, but it's, it's good for me to be back. A uh, couple resources here as we start our year and as we look at kind of spiritual goals as a church though this year. Last year we gave a Through the Bible reading plan. This year I wanna encourage you to dive deep with me in two different areas. Number one is uh, our marriages, our relationships, which we'll be talking about today and for the next uh, several weeks. And then number two, we're gonna do a deep dive through the Gospel of John throughout the remainder of 2021 after doing this marriage and relationship series. And so if you want to take part in this with us, we have these 2021 memory verses that are available for you out of the resource information table. And there's 12 memory verses on this ring, one for each month. It'd be a great thing for for you and your family to memorize a verse per month as we navigate through our relationships and also through the Gospel of John. There's also a bunch bunch of book resources out at that resource table. And the book resource table is new here It uh, corresponds with what our church vision might be at any given time. It corresponds with the message series that we might be doing on Sunday morning. And so you'll see a number of different book resources that we would recommend related to marriage and uh, relationships, and then into the Gospel of John. So some other resources there as well, so you can check those out. And then finally, there's information at the resource table on Right Now Media. And Right Now Media is kind of like the Netflix of a Christian library And we offer this to you free of charge, and you can sign up for it. There's easy instructions for how to sign up for that out there, that resource table. And then there's a number of uh, marriage and relationship resources that we've recommended there as well. So you can check those out in these weeks to come. So I was gone these last two weekends, and uh, our family went out of town and we took eight days away, and Susie and I kind of went back and forth on should we take this vacation or shouldn't we take this vacation for about three months before we finally pulled the trigger. Like, it's hard to know if you can take a vacation during COVID days, isn't it? And so we're going back and forth for several weeks, even several months, and we want to do something different. Typically, we go visit my family in Colorado or her family in Oregon, But um, we just really felt like at this time, with the stress of 2020, we needed a family vacation. We needed some time together, just the four of us. And so, after going back and forth for a number of months, finally at the end of November, we pulled the trigger and we said, We're going to go out of town, we're going to get these N95 masks, and we're going to book flights to Florida. And I was excited. I was so excited. So we got our personal protective equipment. We got our N95 masks. And then we prepared ourselves to do something very dangerous. We prepared ourselves to enter the Disney universe. And if you've ever been there, you know how dangerous it is. And this was my first foray into that. I'd never been to Florida. And all of a sudden, where you have to get all these different apps to get into Disney World. And we were going to do two days in Disney, followed by a couple days with family, and I'm getting all these different apps to to get into Disney World, and now you have to sign up to go on to certain rides. So not only do you have to wait for an hour to get on a ride, but now you have to sign up for it as well. And so I'm doing all these different kinds of things, then I meet with a friend here at this church who's like a PhD in all things Disney. And he's taken his family there a few times, and he's taken me through, how do I prepare for a couple days there so it's not wasted in lines the whole time? And he gives me all these different websites for how to plan your Disney trip. This is getting overwhelming. The kids are going to the library, and they get two or three different books on Disney. And every night, they're planning out what our two days there are going to look like. To this point that I say to Susie, is this worth it? Like, this is so much work. This cannot possibly be worth it. But we went, and we had a great time there, and then spent a couple days with our family, and then got a few days of relaxation, just the... Four of us um, got some sunshine, and we came back afterwards, and we rested, and we looked at each other, and we said, yeah, that was worth it. And it created these family memories for us that are just a week old right now, but I am positive, because we've never done anything like that, those are memories that are going to stick with us for the rest of our lives, and we came to this point on several occasions, should we do it, shouldn't we do it, is it worth it, it's so much work, so much planning, it, like really, it's funny to talk this way about a vacation, but it required perseverance to go to Disney. And on the backside, we said, yeah, it was worth it because these memories though, that we got that we wouldn't have expected, and I just share all of that because that's kind of like a microcosm for marriage. It takes work, right? Somebody please say amen. Like, it takes a ton of work. And you got to commit yourself to persevere in it. you got to commit yourself to plan for it. you got to commit yourself to prioritize. All these little things that I did for eight days away, on a miniature level, that's what we need to do if we're going to have Any kind of reward on the back end relative to our marriages. Friends, marriage is so hard. We all know this. It is so difficult. And there is nobody here on this stage, though, that will speak that has a perfect marriage. I promise you that. I have a good marriage. Susie and I work really hard. We're trying to make it a great marriage. We read lots of books. We've gone to counseling. We've watched lots of messages. We process the things that I'll be speaking on over these coming weeks. We're seeking to make it a great marriage, but the truth is, oftentimes it's just really painful. There's times that there's these like really high and wonderful peaks, and then there's these gut-busting falls, especially for Susie. You know, it's a roller coaster. It's really a roller coaster, but it's become good and it's getting better because we commit to working on it through the peaks and valleys that will inevitably occur in any marriage. It's a roller coaster, but we commit together to the destination. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I do wonder how many of us would say that our marriages are thriving today. And yet we long for our marriages to thrive. Nobody goes into this just hoping to survive. We all long that our marriages would thrive. And talking to a number of other pastors in our area, in the city of Kearney and in our church, I've talked to many about this. The consensus is this, that in the midst of the difficulty of the pandemic and the political strife of 2020, marriage has gotten harder. I mean, I cannot believe the amount of political division in some homes and how much that's hurt something way bigger than politics, which is our marriage. And the strain of the pandemic that it's had on our families. And so we all recognize that probably even if we're in a healthy spot right now, there's probably some work that we can do to fine-tune this wonderful gift that God has given to us because what he has intended is that husband and wife would come together in communion and deep, long-lasting, lifelong friendship. Who's this marriage series for? I want you to know it's not just for married people. It is for married people, but it's for others as well. It's also for those who hope one day to be married. It's for those who have gone through the pain of being married and going through a divorce, and you know that if God would give you the opportunity to be married again, if he so wills, you know how painful it is, and so you want to get it right this time. This is a series for those who are widows or widowers, and someday they might be married again. This is a series for those who have kids who are married and they long for their kids to have successful, prosperous marriages. This is for anyone who knows someone who is married. This is for anyone who can spell the word marriage. (laughs) Who's this series for? It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And over the course of these following weeks, well, we're going to talk about things like spiritual leadership in the home and we're going to talk about conflict resolution and parenting during the young years of marriage and the older years of marriage. We're going to talk about being on mission in marriage together. We're going to talk about singleness in the church and God's great call to singleness and the longing for marriage well, when we are single. We're going to talk about all of those things. Now, we need to say to the outset that marriage has always been hard, no matter the generation that one is living in. But in these past 60 years, I would say that marriage has probably gotten harder. Now, the reason for that, these past 60 years, something has changed, at least in the United States. I don't know enough about other countries to be able to say this about them, but in the United States, something has changed related to our core worldview. In the United States, we used to operate in terms of ethics on the basis of these two words, duty and virtue. What is my duty in this world, and what does a virtuous life look like? Today, we operate, by and large, according to a different ethical starting point, and it is practical consumerism. Did you get that? It used to be duty and virtue. Today, in the past 60 years, we operate mostly on the basis of how do I practically get mine? And when you go into marriage with a consumeristic mindset, what inevitably happens is you begin to treat your spouse like a commodity who is supposed to fulfill your desires for satisfaction, sex, romance, and money. And if they don't, then you say, I'm not getting what ethically I am supposed to get. I have been taught, we have been taught in America for the last 60 years to think with a consumeristic mindset that if this isn't working, go get something else that does. That's a change, culturally, since the 1960s. In addition to that, that's, that's kind of new, that's unique in our culture today, but in addition to that, Marriage has always been hard for another, even more foundational reason than that. Another reason that marriage has always been difficult is just the basic human condition. All the way back, since our very first ancestors, way back at creation, human's inherent human nature has been bent So here's your first point though this morning marriage is always going to take a lot of hard work because human nature has always been bent and human nature certainly still today is bent Uh, friends marriage takes work say that out loud with me marriage takes work you didn't say it too loud did you okay in the venue join me in the auditorium let's say it together marriage takes work Like, if you want to have a great Sunday supper with the family, it takes work, doesn't it? If you want to have a great vacation, it takes some work, doesn't it? If you want to finish your basement, it takes work. If you want to have a great lawn, it takes work. Newsflash, marriage takes work. You want to have a great marriage, it's going to take a lot of great work. Somehow we forget that what we want to do is kind of crumple up right now the idea that those people over there on the other side of the church are so lucky. No, they're not. They ain't lucky. They've worked hard to get where they are. You think of a couple who has a great marriage, I guarantee you, they have worked their tails off to prioritize that great marriage. Moreover, they have other things behind their closed doors that you know nothing about. So don't envy their marriage Envy and comparison is always a thief of joy. They have other stuff that you don't know about, so throw away that idea, they're so lucky, I wish I had what they had. Instead, what we want to do is admit the very difficult but very honest news that our human natures are all bent, and that starts with me. Starts right here. Starts with me. Okay, our natures from birth are skewed back towards Self. Like a broken bicycle wheel, you got this rim that is out of balance, that is not tuned. It just won't go straight. That's the way we are naturally. Or maybe a better analogy is we're like a boomerang. You throw it out and you think it's going to continue to go north and then all of a sudden it starts coming back. And that's the way we are. Our moral compass is bent back towards self, that if we were totally honest in the silent moments of our hearts, we are looking out for number one. We frequently do good for other people such that we would feel good about ourselves. That's how deep it goes. And whether you call it selfishness or pride, every single one of us fall into this. And when you put that into marriage, what it means is, I'm looking out for number one, and she's looking out for number one. And we're not looking out for us together. And it means that when we have an argument, let me prove to you how I'm right, and therefore you're wrong. Or we have an argument, let me prove to you that I'm the winner of this argument. And last time I checked, if there's a winner, there's also a... And does anyone want to be the loser in marriage? No, nobody wants that. But we have opportunities to make someone feel like a loser in marriage all the time. And it actually happens quite naturally for us because of our bent human condition. And so really the very first work, if you want to one day have a good marriage, if you're a young person today and you think maybe someday I'll have marriage, maybe one day I'll marry someone, the very first work is this, admitting that you have a selfishness problem And the main thing that I need to work on every day as it relates to all of my relationships is my selfishness problem. We're told through books and TV and movies that you'll bring one selfish person together and another selfish person together, and somehow they come together and they find bliss. No, what you have is multiplied selfishness. Okay? But you have an opportunity for a really great marriage When each of those selfish people admit that the main problem in their marriage is their own selfishness, that's where it begins. We begin by acknowledging it takes hard work in us because our natures are always bent. Now, what I wanna do here for the remainder of our time is give one word for wives, one word for husbands, and then one word for couples together. We'll start with wives. Wives, you can work at your marriage. You can protect your marriage by intentionally propping your husband up. It's really interesting. Across every man that I've ever worked with in premarital counseling or marriage counseling or spiritual counsel of any kind, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of Christians, a lot of non-Christians, a lot of people that don't know who they are spiritually at all, a lot of people who consider themselves very liberal, other people consider themselves very conservative, people have been raised by a mother, by a father, by both, all different kinds of backgrounds. And 100% of the time, I can guarantee you this, there's never been a man that I've worked with that does not long to be respected by his wife. No matter the background, I've seen 100% of the time, and 100% of the time, a man's knees buckle when he feels that he is not respected by his wife. Ladies, here's part of our secret Many men were rarely affirmed by their fathers. Do you know that we all have different people in our lives who hold different weight in our lives? Does that make sense? Like all of us have certain people in our lives that when they speak, we really, really listen, right? Okay? For most of us, our dad was one of those, okay? And many guys never felt affirmed by their dad. Many guys have gone through all of life with this wound, this hole, this vacuum in their hearts because they felt like they were never good enough for dad, that they didn't ever meet dad's expectations. They were always falling short of dad's approval. And the result for many men is this feeling of lifelong insecurity. This is part of our secret, ladies. Men, I'm sorry to share your secret. But this part of our secret is men, isn't it? that we struggle with insecurity in part, but because we don't know if our place is firm in this world, we weren't really built up in many cases by our fathers. I know one man though that I worked with whose father regularly told him, son, you're nothing but a seagull. You're not good for anything but sitting, squawking, and... That's what he heard all the time. Now, that's an extreme example, but there's many men who feel insecure because they didn't get affirmed by their dad. And then they go into marriage, and oftentimes they feel like they're less than their wives. So ladies, you have this wonderful opportunity. You have significant power to either add to their wound or help heal their wound through the incredible power of your words, which are very weighty to your husband. A disrespectful tone oftentimes feeds into a man's deepest fears. That maybe it's true, I am weak. I don't have what it takes. I cannot measure up to her expectations either. Just like I couldn't measure up to my dad's expectations, I can't measure up to hers either. And there's many men who live with that. Now, some women really understand this, and so they actively choose to be their husband's number one fan. There's a couple in our life group, though, that I've thought about many times in this regard. He was sharing with me some pictures a couple years ago of the pergola that he built on the backside of their home. And it turned out wonderfully, and he was sharing it well with his wife And I asked, how did she respond to that? And she said, oh, she she loved it. She said, thanks so much for building this pergola. I love it. I can't wait to sit out here after a long day and just enjoy its shade. And I said to him, how did that make you feel that she reacted to you that way? And he said, about nine feet tall. She got it. She understood that she could build her man up. And ladies, when you choose to speak well of him to others and never to talk about him behind his back, to thank him for the way that he provides, to thank him for the way that he loves, to respect him even though he is far from perfect and you both know it, this is what he hears from you. He hears, I believe in you. I believe you do have what it takes. Your space is firm in this house. And he hears, I am with you as you keep growing as a man, as a father, as a husband. I am with you. I love the way Proverbs 12 puts it. Proverbs 12 says, An excellent wife is like the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Man, that's so good. What vivid imagery. An excellent wife is like a crown. For her husband. He, he looks at her and he's like, Oh, she's such a treasure. She is such a gift. Thank you, Godfather, for this wife. My most treasured relationship is with my wife. She's my joy. She's my crown. But the one who shames him, the one who belittles him, the one who speaks to him in a disrespectful manner, what does it feel like for him? It feels like rot to the bones. It feels like cancer to the bones. Shanti Feldhorn wrote a book a number of years ago titled Four Women Only, and so I did not read it. <laughs> but in that book, she, uh, she quotes the study, which I did read, and uh, she notes that uh, in the study, a thousand husbands were surveyed in which they were asked to answer this one question, They were asked, husbands, would you pick this one? Would you pick one of these two? Which of these two would you choose? Would you choose, number one, to be alone and unloved? Or would you choose, number two, to feel inadequate and disrespected? What do you think men said? 75% of men said they would rather be alone and unloved than to feel inadequate or disrespected by their wives. 75% of men, three to one. Indeed, many men were just confused by the question. No offense, guys. They were confused by the question because to them, to be disrespected was to be unloved. They're the same thing. It's like rottenness. To our bones, Friends, there's this blueprint in marriage, and we'll really dig into it next week. It comes from Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2, and Jesus says it two different times in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. It's a blueprint. It's, it's like the way marriage is supposed to start, and we'll get into it in, uh, next week. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks to this blueprint, and he says, chapter 5, verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and by implication, a woman will leave her father and mother, and they'll be united to each other. He'll be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the basic blueprint is this. You leave mom and dad. You cleave to one another emotionally, physically, spiritually, Under the same roof, financially, you cleave together, and then you get the gift of sex. Then you become one flesh. That's the the basic blueprint that is stated again and again. And then you explore each other and enjoy each other for the rest of your days. It's stated four different times that way in the Bible. And the word cleave here, the word united in the Hebrew, actually has this idea of being glued together. And so you imagine two two-by-fours glued together with a really strong wood glue. When they're glued together, after they've been affixed together, if you try to break them apart, what happens? Splinters everywhere, right? Pieces of this board go on to this person, and pieces of this board go onto this board. And, that, and that's the way divorce is, right? You get pieces of each other on the opposite one. And so that's why this is such a big deal, That you leave all others and cleave to one and then be united for life. And that's God's starting point for us. It's like you take in two different boats to this island together. And once you got on the island together, you burn the boats. And there ain't no way off. You're with each other and you figure it out. You work hard on it. And that's what God intends And right from that, the very next word here in verse 33, right out of that blueprint is this statement to husbands and wives. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. These are the two basic things that are needed for a marriage to begin to thrive. There's many, many other things that we'll talk about, and we'll dig into this more next week. But if a wife begins by saying, I'm gonna prop my husband up, and a husband begins by saying, I'm gonna love my wife really well, and we'll get into that in just a moment, then they have a real opportunity for success. And the two are not mutually exclusive. Men need love too, they need affirmation as well, and Lord knows women need respect too. Aretha Franklin has told us so, right? And men, you better give your wives respect. There's too many women who are disrespected. We gotta respect our wives better. Women need that too, they're not mutually exclusive. But there's something written in the DNA of men and women that men particularly just need to be propped up by their wives. And husbands, you need to love your wife. You protect your marriage by offering loving presence, the gift of loving presence to your wife. In other words, do not neglect your wife. To love your wife is not simply, biblically, Biblically, to love your wife is not simply to provide a paycheck and a security system to the home. That's the easy part, okay? A security system and providing a paycheck, that's the easy part. you got to give your heart. you got to give your soul to her. Don't neglect her with your emotional presence. So many men neglect their wives and their kids because they're too busy with more important work. Guys, the way God has framed your wife, the way he has made your wife, is the way she will flower is through your love, your loving presence. To neglect her because you're too busy is to defy the will of God for your marriage. Proverbs 27, eight puts it this way. This is a great verse to memorize, guys. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. And we all know men who wander from the home physically, but there are a lot of guys who wander from the home emotionally, aren't there? Like there are a lot of guys who check out from their marriage while they're in the home because they're checking into computers or their jobs or their tools or their guns or their hobbies or whatever it might be, and they check out of giving their hearts to their wives, The way that she most feels loved and the way God commands us to love her is by offering the gift of our presence and fighting neglect. So let me give you four very simple ways, guys, that you can begin to do this for your wife. I've learned these the hard way, okay? Maybe you don't have to. You can learn from my mistakes, okay? Four simple ways that you can begin to offer the gift of presence for your wife. If you're taking notes, guys, this is a really good time to take note. Your wife is probably taking note about whether you're taking notes, Here's the first one: Offer to help. Offer to help around the house. Like there's no such thing as women's work, guys. There's no such thing. When you offer to help around the house with cooking or cleaning sometimes, maybe that's our primary responsibility in your home. It's going to be different for every home. I'm not saying that there's got to be these really discrete roles, but in many homes. The women lead the way in those areas. And guys, when you go out of your way to offer help there, it says, What you are doing, my wife, is so valuable. So valuable that I will give some of my precious time to it. Offer your help around the house. Number one, use these three words. Take it from me. Tell me more. Tell me more. I don't know about your house, but in my house and many, many different times as guys that I've met with over the years, the women are far more advanced than the men linguistically. And ladies can talk sometimes, I don't mean to stereotype, longer than men want to talk. Not always. I'm not trying to stereotype. But guys, when you sit down and you give the gift of presence and you say, honey, would you tell me a little bit more about that? Wow. I can't believe how you handled that. Would you please tell me more? That speaks love. It speaks the gift of presence to our wives in a significant way. Number three, express your loyalty to her. Let her know on a regular basis that I am only for you. I'm a one-woman man. I'm not for anyone else. I don't lust after someone else. I'm a one-woman man. There's many women who have justifiable fears about that. Maybe you failed in this area before. You just repent. You give that to God. You feel the weight of that. You experience the emotional pain of that. You receive the Lord's forgiveness. You receive her forgiveness. And then you commit yourself to being a loyal person going forward. Express your loyalty regularly to her. And then finally, schedule one-on-one time together. It's a righteous thing that she wants some of your time. That's a righteous desire. Don't say, "Ah, I don't have enough time. Don't say, "Ah, maybe next week. Don't say, "Ah, we'll see. Put it on the calendar. Give her your time. Show her that you love her, that she is your priority. I just admit this from my own failures. Early in my marriage, I could have been a better husband. I was part of starting a church, and I was finishing seminary, and we had two little kids, and Susie got the last of it. And I had time for the kids, but I didn't know how to also have time for her in the midst of it all and I recognized that it was causing some friction in our relationship. I started to ask a number of men that I respected who were further along than me, how did they prioritize time with their wives when the kids were young? And it's really really difficult when you have young kids and in this time we had a probably a 4-year-old and a newborn. And I went to this man named Mike in the church that I previously served and he was the chairman of our board at our previous church and a wonderful man. He had three grown kids who had wonderful marriages and Two of them, Bob, became missionaries, and he had a wonderful marriage. Great kids and a great marriage, and I just wanted to ask him, in the midst of all of your busyness, he worked hard, he was chairman of the board at our church, in the midst of all of your busyness, how did you do it with your young kids? And I'll never forget what he responded to me. He said, when my kids were little, every day I got home from work, usually around 6 or 6.30 p.m., I got home from work, and then I hugged and I kissed the kids, And then Kathy and I put the kids in another area of the room and we sat on the couch together for 15 to 30 minutes every day and we checked in with each other five days a week. And our kids learned that while they were important, they're not more important. While they're important, they're not more important than this relationship. Because as this relationship goes, the kids go. As this relationship goes, the kids are hurt. And so we prioritize this marriage relationship first. And the result for them was an incredible, flourishing marriage. And so I've tried to apply that over the years. Since then, I don't do it as well as he did it. But I learned from Mike and Kathy to prioritize my marriage first. Anything good requires work. And the number one relationship that God has given you this side of eternity is to your husband or your wife. You give them your best. A word for wives, a word for husbands, and then finally a word for couples. I'll wrap up with this. Um, Susie allows me to be transparent with you. She is a good and godly woman. You should thank her. Uh, we are so very different. My wife and I are so different. Again, we have a good marriage, trying to make it a great marriage. But we are so different. And it makes it hard at times. I'm from a super independent Caucasian family. She's from a super interdependent Indian family. Like their family is 50 people strong. I'd see Mike's and family once a year. <laughs> it's very different, personality-wise. We're so different. She's relaxed; she's easy to be around. I'm driven; I'm tough to be around. She's um, what you call in the Myers-Briggs an ISFP. I'm an INTJ. Very different. On the Enneagram, she would be a six loyalist, and I would be a three achiever. I love theology, she finds it boring. I'm athletic, she's artistic. She's beautiful and, exo- and, 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 she's beautiful and exotic, and I'm not. <laughs> she thought she married Mr. Wright, and she was wrong. <laughs> like she didn't. She just thought she did. And you didn't either. Ladies, you didn't either. You just thought you did. And guys, you didn't marry Mrs. Wright. You just thought you did. None of us marries Mr. Wright. Susie has been married to three different men across our 16 years, and they've all been named Adrian. Like, we change. We grow. We develop. We adapt. And thanks be to God I'm so grateful that she is not the woman she was 16 years ago, and I am not the man I was 16 years ago. By the grace of God, we're both being sanctified. But this is what holds us together these two words. Ready? Promise and prayer. Couples, you can protect your marriage by prayerfully returning often to your promises. You go back to your promises and you say they're serious. I meant my vows when I said them. And when I signed up for better or worse, for richer or for poorer in sickness and health, I did so before God, and he's at the center of our marriage, and I meant it. And she did too. And Jesus, is that center strand in the cord, you think about that wonderful verse from Ecclesiastes 4, that though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Friends, we need to come back to this again and again, that the center cord of our marriage is nothing other than Jesus Christ himself, and Jesus Christ is for your marriage. He wants your marriage to succeed. He wants you to get through the challenges that you're going through. He wants young people who are going to go into marriage sometime even this next year to realize the challenges are coming, but you can get through them because Christ is for you. And when you return again and again and again to your promises, then you become a person of integrity. Here's the simple truth. You make your promises, and then your promises make you. You want to become a person of integrity? It begins by being a promise keeper. You make your promises, and those reinforced over time make you a man or woman of integrity. And then you just commit to praying for each other and praying together. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You take a couple minutes each day to hold hands and pray your vows to each other from time to time and recommit your love for each other. And soon as prays you pray special things about me, in areas that my character needs to be refined, and I pray for her in her areas where character needs to be refined. And we build each other up in the process. We hold hands and we pray over our marriage. And it's not special. It's a couple minutes, usually three or four times a week. I wish it was every day, but it's usually three or four times a week. And it's these two words that amidst all of our differences, we've been able to build up our marriage through the ups and downs the commitment to being promise keepers and the commitment to prayer through the ups and downs that any marriage inevitably has. And so we start here. We start with this admission that it takes work for life. And guys, your job is to begin with offering your loving presence to her. And ladies, your job as we begin is to begin propping him up building him up, and together as we begin, we reinforce our vows, we reinforce the commitment to prayer, and we trust God to build something great out of the gift that he's given us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage. You said at the very beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. And so you gave a partner suitable to us. And we thank you, Lord, for our spouses, for those of us who are married in this room today. We acknowledge that marriage is oftentimes hard and it's oftentimes even disappointing. But we also know it's a wonderful opportunity for deepest friendship and communion and actually making a difference in this world through a great marriage and through a great family. We recognize that the challenges of marriage are part of what you would intend for our own sanctification process. That we would go through pain and we would become stronger together through that pain of relationships. And so we give ourselves to you acknowledging that we are indeed selfish. And so we do indeed need your help. Thank you Lord Jesus that you offer to forgive us of our selfishness and you would offer to help us to live and to love the way Jesus does in selflessness for the good of our spouse father i want to pray specifically for those who are hurting today around this subject there are some in this room today who long to be married and that hasn't come their way and i ask god that you give them your peace help them to be content in this state of life as they seek the kingdom of god i pray for those who are hurting because marriage didn't work out the way they expected. Father, we can learn together through this series and as we examine what you have to tell us related to family. And so we give you our hearts. And for all of us, we remember that because we are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Some of us right now are feeling conviction. And we let that settle in. But if we turn to the cross, we can be released from any sense of condemnation as we receive your forgiveness and we begin to move on for your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you're the God of second chances. And we ask, God, that you'd strengthen us, even now, in our most important relationships. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray together. Amen.